Thank you, Andrew and team. Good morning, church family. My name is Eric. I have the joy of serving here on the, tr- uh, the preaching team at, here at Clayton Valley Church. And um, I know a, a regular uh, feature of our church is the kids' minute often, but we didn't have that today. Uh, but we had communion. And I, I think despite trying to restrain little children while doing communion, there's something beautiful about showing our kids what we do here in the church and celebrating the Lord's Supper. So i uh, very excited that Andrew was gracious enough to lead that for me. Uh, because I also had one of those crazy weeks. You ever have one of those weeks where you're just coming in to church and you're like, I'm here. At least I'm here. So uh, very excited to be able to open up God's word with you. Um, This week, I was in a passage of scripture that's not our text for this morning, but I read some things and it got me thinking about our passage for the morning. And it's in John 17 and Jesus is praying, very famous prayer. He says in verse 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. He says that, and then he says in a couple of verses later in verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, so not just the disciples, but for those who are to believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us now, that they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And I read passages of scripture like that, and of course I understand the greater context, but you read that. And then you look at reality, and you look around at the church. You're like, is there a lot of unity going on? Is there a lot of sanctification going on? I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. I look around, and I'm like, I'm not trying to, you know, certainly question anything that Jesus is praying for, but at the same time, like, what gives? Like, is, is it not working, or am I missing it? Or is there something else that's going on? And as you start to mull that question over, there's, of course, an answer in John 17, but there's also the same issue that's addressed in our text this morning. And I think even just a moment of introspection gets you to realize that you're a part of the church. You're a part of the equation. Start looking in the mirror and you're like, okay, what am I doing to promote the unity in the body of Christ? What am I doing to become more like the image of Christ? How am I growing in sanctification? You start looking at yourself, and I think the question that comes up that we should rightfully try to answer is how can we see growth and unity in the church, both personally and corporately? It's something we all desire. There's a universal desire for more unity. Like, just turn anything on, the internet, the TV, whatever it is. There's a lot of literal fighting and fighting of words. There's a lot of people that aren't on the same page, and there's a universal desire to get onto the same page. And we as the church, we have the thing to create that. And yet, it doesn't seem to always be working. And we should be growing more and more into the image of Christ. But sometimes you're like, yeah, I don't think it's working. And so to answer this question, we need to look at the Corinthian church. We've been spending some time in Corinthians already, uh, the letter, letter of 1 Corinthians, and You've already gotten the picture that the Corinthian church is pretty messed up. There's a lot of problems in the Corinthian church, and there's a lot more that we're going to talk about too, so we're going to keep going on that, but the Corinthian church is a big, giant mess. And if there were ever a church to give up on in this particular issue, it would probably be the Corinthians. They weren't doing a very good job at this at all. And so you'd think Paul would kind of throw his hands up and be like, I don't know what to do with you, but he doesn't do that. Thankfully... The question of, like, could they ever be united and grow? The answer is yes, they can. There's hope there, both individually and personally. 
And, and so even though there is a problem that's going on, he's going to hold up the mirror to the Corinthians and be like, hey, look at yourself. Have you seen yourself recently? And, and it's a hard word to accept. Like, we, we're listening in. He's not speaking to us directly. But as we listen into the conversation, we're like, oh, yeah, that's tough. And he doesn't just leave you there, though, thankfully. He, he leaves you with the hope of there could be something better. There's unity to be had in the church. There's growth to be had. So let's look at our text. If you've got a Bible, let's open it up to the letter of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. Go ahead and open up your Bible or digital device, whatever you have, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, And when you have that, go ahead and join me in standing as we receive this as the Word of God. So we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 through 9. And I'm reading from the NASB this morning. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but to as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife amongst you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For, while, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. God, as we read the text this morning... Uh, it's a challenging text, and so I pray that you would guide us rightly in our minds and in our thinking about how we handle this. So pray just very practically that you would keep us awake and alert as we're dealing with a time change. Thank you for your grace towards us in every aspect of our life. I pray that you would open our eyes to see that more this morning. In your son's name, amen. You can be seated. So, let's... As I already kind of alluded to in the prayer, this is a challenging text of Scripture. Um, well, let's just look at the text, like put your eyes back on the Bible, verse 1 through 4. Let's just look at the kinds of things, like high level, catch the big picture here. Paul is saying some pretty hard things. He's not saying very good things about what's going on. So I'm at least tentatively, I'm going to give you a word. He's calling them spiritually immature. I'm going to use that word extensively this morning. I think he's trying to say, like, there's a problem here. And so I'm going to give you a lot of background because we're in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians and chapters 1 and 2 are really important to understanding chapters 3. So I'm going to spend a little bit longer on background. And so I'm going to give you kind of a summary sentence of what Paul has said so far in 1 Corinthians chapters 1, chapters 2, and then we're going to take the first three words of the first verse. Like, this could be a long morning. I promise I'll go faster. I promise. Um, so, first observations we need to make about the text. These people are Christians, spiritually immature Christians. I think there's several indicators in the text that indicate that these people are not, like, kind of Christians. They're not not Christians. They're Christians. Let's look back at the text. Chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, 
those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. So he's addressing these people as saints. And he's already brought this one issue up that's in chapter 3 once before in verses 10 through 13 of chapter 1. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions amongst you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels amongst you, and now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas or Peter, and I am of Christ. Has Paul been, or Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized by the name of Paul? So there's all these indicators, and then we come to chapter 3, which is our text, and he starts off and he's like, and I brethren. He's calling them brothers. So foundationally, we need to assume that the people who are being addressed here are Christians. The next thing that we can observe about them is there's a lack of unity. There's something going on that's causing a lack of unity in their church. They're not all on the same page. They're fighting and bickering. And Paul is trying to, over the course of three chapters, explain to them why this is. So in chapters 1 and 2, the key verse, if you want to look back at the text, chapter 1, is verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So there's an important thing there. Like, to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. So there is something that has been abandoned that is causing this lack of unity. They're trying to replace the cross with different factions and camps. And they're they're dividing up based on preferences about different things and ministry leaders, and they're fighting and bickering amongst each other because they've lost sight of the one thing that holds them together. They've lost sight of the cross. They've abandoned the wisdom and power of the cross. They're like, no, we don't need that. We can unite on other things. Let's unite on like our favorite preaching style. Let's unite on like our favorite, insert the blank, whatever it was that caused them to like these different men and what they were doing. And they decided to do that instead of uniting on the wisdom and power of the cross. And so they're in a big mess, but they're still brothers. Paul is saying, you guys are throwing out the very key that holds you together as the church. You're throwing it out because you're like, that's foolishness. The world doesn't get it. We'll just move past that, ignore it, and let's just do something else. Paul's like, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot here, guys. This is not a good plan. And I think this is a a unique situation in the Corinthian church. It's not a unique problem, though. The church is always like, hey, let's just abandon the gospel and let's try to cook up another way to get people in here and like make things better. Let's reinvent ourselves to make ourselves a little bit more appealing to the world. It's a universal problem. And so we look at this and we're like, yeah, I kind of sympathize with this problem. Like they're having factions and divisions because of a temptation that's pretty relatable. And again, like they're also lacking personal growth. Like, they're, they're lacking unity, but they're also lacking growth. They're not growing into the image of Christ like they should be. They don't look right. They're bickering and fighting. They're bickering and fighting over teachers, which is just kind of humorous, because you're like, I don't think we do that. But then we do. That's what's funny. 
You know, there's this like, we, we love this per- particular person. We love this particular style. We're fighting over all of these things. That's what's happening in the context of this, and it's hampering their growth. And so it's helpful to see, again, we're almost out of context, I promise. We're getting to the passage here. Chapters 1 and chapters 2 are talking about what happened with them, their justification. Like, these people are saved. Now chapter 3, rightly so, there's a break there's a pivot here to like, okay, now let's talk about sanctification. Like, you were justified, you're a Christian, like, here's what's going on in the past with you. Now, as a result of that, there should be an outworking of unity and growth into Christ-likeness. There's a directionality to their life, and Paul's like, and Chris jokes about this sometimes too, like the visual analogy of like, you know, you're kind of here, and the glorification's here, and instead of the straight line, like it's just one of these things where you're like, okay, you know, like I'm growing in Christ, and then, okay, not so much, and then I'm growing, and, and there's a directionality to it, but it's messy, and that's the picture here in chapter three. Like there's a mess going on right now, and Paul's trying to jar them out of that and go, hey, this is not good. This is not a good place for you to be. And, and he's underlying that the problem is the abandonment of the hope of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And he says that there are four results that happen because of abandoning this. And this is where the passage gets weird and people get really tripped up on it. But I think it, one or two points, I'll put the passage up on the screen and visually that might help you understand what's going on here. But let's look at the first Result. The first result of doing this thing that they're doing is that they reap fleshly divisions, right? Like we're still at the point where we're like holding the mirror up to the Corinthians and Paul's going, look at yourself. Hasn't even presented the solution yet to, to unity and to growth, but he's saying, hey, as a result of what you've done with the gospel and with the cross and what Christ has done, and you're like, yeah, I don't need that. As a result of that, you're fighting. Look at verse 3. The first full paragraph in verse 3 says, For since there is jealousy and strife among you. He's going, the first indicator that there's a problem here in your church right now is jealousy and strife. And those are kind of fun words because jealousy has this idea of, of like you're, you're zealous. Like you want something, but you want it for you. It's a, it's a zeal, but turned inwards. Like you have to have it and you have to have it for you. Strife, I think, is a little bit easier. Strife is just fighting and arguing. I think we all kind of know that. I, just a little bit of levity here because it's time change Sunday and this will have a few more jokes in it. I promise I'm not trying to be sacrilege. I'm just trying to keep, you, keep us all awake. But like, you want an illustration of what strife and jealousy look like? Borrow my four-year-old and my one-year-old and have one toy. That's jealousy and strife. Like one of them will have the toy and be like, I want, I have this. And the other one will want it. And then the second it switches, they're going to be switching and just fighting back and forth. And Paul's going like, I see that jealousy and strife that's going on in your church right now. And I'm not surprised because you abandoned the gospel. You were like, no, we don't need that anymore. So he's going, yeah, that's a pretty logical result. I'm not surprised. The next thing that he points out that's present in this church is that they're reaping fleshly, man-centered growth. Let's look at verse 4. He's saying, For for when one says, I am of of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, they're arguing back and forth. They're, They're acting as if people are the thing that caused the growth in the church. They've totally missed it. Paul's going, like, you guys, like, somehow managed to miss this. 
You think that me and Apollos, that we did this. We didn't. And he'll explain more about that in verse 5 through 9. We're just not there yet. But he's going, this is ridiculous. Like, like thankfully, we don't do that, right? Like, we would never, never be like, oh, that book written by so-and-so totally, like, you know, changed my life. We would never say, like, Pastor so-and-so did this, and as a result, like, this, this, this. Yeah, we would never say that, right? You know, but, but we do these kinds of things. We, we fail to see that God is the one who's using different people at different times for God's purposes, and God is the one who's doing things. It's a very beautiful thing, but they're all stuck down here. They're seeing the differences between Paul and Apollos, and they're just arguing about the differences. They fail to understand that they're serving God, and they're on the same team. He's going, you guys are missing that. I don't think Paul is the person who's being like, do you have a friend who says actually a lot? Maybe I'm that friend, sorry. Um, You know, who's like, actually, um, it's not that. Paul's not doing that here. I want to correct that, because I think we just think like, oh, Paul's being super spiritual, there goes Paul again. No, he's not. He's, He's trying to highlight that without the God's power, the message he's preaching is foolishness. He said that in chapter 2. There's no way this could be working if it weren't for God. It just won't work. Paul's going, there's no other way. It has to be God. Don't you guys see that? And they miss that because they're, they're seeing the differences between different giftings of Paul and Apollos, and they're bickering about it and fighting about it. And the third result of their spiritual immaturity is that they look like the world. This is the one that trips everybody up. This is the one that confuses everyone when they get to chapter 3. And like a lot of my study and prep time was just trying to make sense of all this because it's not obvious at first. And if you can read the verses, sorry about the small font, maybe you can, maybe you can't. It's verse 1, the, the middle part, verse 2, the end to the beginning of verse 3, the end of verse 3, and then the end of verse 4. And I would consider these really Paul's exasperated refrains. He's saying the same thing four different ways to highlight four different things, and they're roughly about the same in different ways. This is undoubtedly the most challenging part of this passage, and a lot of people have gotten really far off base about this, and it's probably more content for Sunday school than it is for Sunday church. But I'll give you a hint that one of the the ways that we can get off base on this is that the the King James used to call this carnal. So that's just kind of a pretext. But these these different refrains that he's saying, let's look at them. I'm going to visually put them up on the screen because I think that'll help us make sense of them all. So the first one, we're going to take them one at a time. He says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. So, um, helpful to see a few things that aren't quite as evident in the English to understand the tone and what is actually being said here. The, the phrase, could not speak to you, is, I'm not capable enough, I don't have enough power in me to say the words. In kind of English modern vernacular, this would be the equivalent of like, I can't even, you guys. Like, I just can't even. Like, I can't even call you spiritual men. Based on the behavior that I'm seeing, the things that are going on, I can't even. 
here's what I would say. Like, I can't, with a straight face, I can't call you spiritual. I'm going to have to call you people who are, like, fleshly. Like, like you're, it's, it's as if, like, you're back into your sinful state again, Paul's saying. It's like you're back there again. What's going on? Paul is trying to be creative here in these four different refrains. Let's think about the context of the Corinthians for a moment. The Corinthian people think they're really spiritual. They also really like to argue. So someone who's really spiritual thinks they're really spiritual and isn't and likes to argue, do you think like they're going to be be persuaded by a logic? They're probably not. They're going to be like, "Oh, that was wrong, 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 wrong." So Paul has to do something a little bit different here. He's, he's got to come at them in a way that, that gets through to the point and gets them to look in the mirror and be like, hey, right now you look like the world. Have you seen that? Like, do you see this? What are you seeing? And it says it again in verse 2, the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. He's like, he says, indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. So the point of this is he's going, you you want me to know how I would describe you. Like your ethical behavior right now, it's as if you're back in the flesh again. It's like you're still back there. Like right now, what I'm hearing, it's like you're back there again. Again, kind of a different aspect, a different way of highlighting this concept. But he's trying to go, this doesn't look good. The third one, verse 3, he says, you are not fleshly, or are you not fleshly? Sorry. Distance vision. And are you not walking like mere men? Like mere men. He's going, it's like you're walking back in the flesh again. Like you've like gone backwards. What's going on here? And again, like fleshly, it's a comparative. You think that they're thinking they're so mature. And Paul's like, yeah, brothers, you're not so mature. You're not quite as mature as you think you are. And these particular sins have caused them to look like the world. Like, are you sensing the repetition here? Are you seeing the questions that he's asking? He's trying to prompt them to look in the mirror and think about themselves. And the last one is really kind of his closing argument. He's like, aren't you guys beyond this? Are you guys mere men? Rhetorical question, no, we're not. Like, oh yeah, right. Oh, that is what we look like. I'm sorry, Paul. Like, what was I thinking? He's trying to draw them to look in the mirror in a winsome way and go, this is not a good look on you right now. And he does it a second way, too. So we'll look at that in a moment. I think the other one's also kind of humorous. But I think this is helpful for us. Like, as the Corinthians are being forced to look in the mirror, we have to do it, too. Right? Like, have you looked in the mirror recently? I'm not talking about your physical appearance. I'm talking about your behavior, what's going on in your heart. Like, that hurts, right? You're like, oh, look at all those people over there. They're worldly. Look at the Corinthians. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's that sinking moment where you're like, yeah, if I'm being honest, like, God's not done with me. God's still sanctifying me, still working on me. Like, there's, there's still more weeds to be pulled out in the garden. Like, there's still more, more parts of my heart that are inclined towards worldliness, and I have to fix my eyes on Christ. Because that's, that's what's going on here for them, and we need to do it too. But that's, those are the three warning signs that you've lost sight of the cross. The fourth one is that you'll look like kids. This one's kind of humorous in some ways. It's not funny because, you know, it's not funny, but 
It's funny because we're listening to it and it's not us getting called kids. But look back at chapter 3. Again, in this section where he's like, I can't even call you spiritual. He's like, you know what? I'd rather just call you babies. As infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you weren't able to receive it yet. He's going, there's a problem going on right now, and you all look like you are people that are in the nursery. He's talking about behavior, not physical development, of course. Um, but he's going, like, this is not a good thing. Paul, Paul's going, you know, again, to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. He's like, it's almost like I need to come back to the church and do some diaper changes right now. Like, I, I need to, like, come and address these issues, and it's not good, right? Like, if you're an adult and someone calls you a kid, it's a bad thing, right? Like, you're, you're messing around at the dinner table, and someone walks up, and it's like, hey, kids, how's it going? It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, you know kind of getting away from myself. I think that's the thrust of where he's going. And in verse 2, people get tripped up on this too. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you weren't able to receive it. But the concept here is like, you know, I think of my little kids, it's like they've tasted the deliciousness of chicken nuggets, but they're like, nah, I'd rather have Similac. Like, I'm good. Like, developmentally, we would call that regression, Right? Like, we would just call that a bad thing. And Paul's like, that's kind of what I see right now. Like, it seems like you guys were beyond this particular issue, but now you're back again. Why are you back again? Like, what's going on? Again, like a look in the mirror moment where he's like, there's a problem here. So, a whole bunch of warning signs, right? Like, tough letter to read. Like, I, I kind of imagine the, this letter coming in to the Corinthian church. Like, there's Team Paul, right? Like, Team Paul. Yay, Paul! Woo! We love Paul! And they get a letter from Paul. They're like, yes! This is a letter from Paul. So excited! And they're like, to the third chapter, and they're like, Ugh. You know? Because it's a tough letter to read. But Paul doesn't leave them there, thankfully. He shows them himself and Apollos. And he does it not out of rebuke necessarily for like shame on you. He does that to go, you could be doing this too. And as a matter of fact, I'm calling you to that. He calls them to it at the very end. So I think there's, there's real hope. He's going, you could be spiritually mature Christians. Look at me and Apollos. Look at what we're doing. Follow our lead. Fix your eyes back on the cross and let going, guys. And so he outlines... Sorry, I put that up there too. There you go. Um, He outlines what it is to be spiritually mature. Let's look at verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. So he's going, hey, like these people that you're, you're getting all like excited about, you think they're so great, like what are they? They're servants. They're servants of God, and they're doing their job, and, and God loves them, and, and he's like, and we actually like each other. Like, we're not in a competition here. He's, he's trying to show them what spiritual maturity is, and part of spiritual maturity is really realizing that we're servants. We're servants of the Lord. That's a good place to be, and we're not competing. We are here to serve God, Much like Christ came to earth, right? Like he illustrated servanthood, right? He was like, hey, I'm washing your feet. Now go serve one another. Go go wash each other's feet, 
Like, here's Paul not just, just rebuking them on, on not being a servant. He's going, there's a better way. Look at me and Apollos. We're servants of the Lord. Come with me. There's hope here. The spiritually mature unite in their calling people to believe. Look back at verse 5. What is the common ground that Apollos and Paul have together? Like, they're servants through whom you believed. Like, they desire the growth of the church. They unite around the gospel. That is their connection point. That's how they, they, they have common ground, and they're united together here in this passage. And they take every opportunity. I, lo- I love the end. He just kind of slides this in for free. Like, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each, he's going, hey, we're just doing what God told us to do. And I, I think this is instructive for us as we consider the many different ways in which we can serve the Lord. Sometimes we look and we're like, oh, I wish I could do that. That'd be great. It's like, well, maybe someday. Not today. That person's doing it. Maybe another day you'll be doing it. Like, Paul's not seeing this as a problem, that there's a diversity of roles here. He's going, hey, we're on the same team. We want the growth of the church. That's the thing we want. So I think at this point, we're actually close enough to answer our question that we asked this morning. Like, how can we see growth and unity in the church, both personally and corporately? We We can see that by acting as servants of the Lord and being united in the calling of everybody to believe in the wisdom and power of the cross. As we proclaim the message of Christ to those around us in our community, our friends, our coworkers, we find we suddenly have common ground with every single person in this building. We're like, okay, got preference differences, got a lot of things we maybe don't agree on, kind of like the Corinthian church. The thing we have in common is proclaiming the good news of Christ and the desire that everyone who comes here would grow more and more into the image of Christ. And Paul's like, that's maturity, guys. And so how are we going to see that? We, we continually look back to Christ and the grace that he's shown us. And he's like, if you do that, the results are really beautiful. Let's look at the results. They're in verses 6 through 7. I, I love how Paul like, emphatically tries to drive this, this point home in 6 and 7. He says, I planted... Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. He's got to say it twice. He's like, guys, having a kind of ridiculous argument right now. God is the one who's doing this. You should know that. And he has to say it twice. Like, it, it, it's almost like he, he just kind of gets to the point in this passage where he, he's like, it's God. 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 Guys, it's God. You know, it, it, I think that's helpful for us because we get really thrown off on that, right? We, we start to, to give credit, rightly so, to servants of the Lord who have been influential in our lives. Right? Like, it's good to have good pastoral leadership. It's good to, to read people and listen to people who can direct our hearts and minds to Scripture. That's a gift of God to the church. That's not a bad thing, but when we start swapping that person out for God, we got a problem. And I think we all know that. We've been at churches where that's happened. And what's interesting here in this passage is this is a commendation to the congregation in this section. Because in a couple verses, Paul's going to go after the pastors. The pastors are going to get judged next week. 
So Andrew and I will not be here next week. Um, no, um, <laughs> um, but this one's addressing, and I include myself in the congregation here too, so like, don't, don't, don't think I'm exempting myself here. But this is, a, this is an address to the congregation and going, don't elevate man above God. God is the one who causes growth. Guys, it's so easy to think people do it. Like, it, you, you don't need to, to just turn your computer on or go on to Twitter, go on, on to christianbook.com, like, go on to YouTube, like, anywhere you go, it's like, there's that proclivity to be like, oh, this person says things I like, and they must be right, maybe they're the one who's growing me spiritually. It's God who's causing the growth, though. As we rely on his word, as our spirit work, as the spirit our spirit, as God's spirit works in us, like we see growth. It's a very beautiful thing. And Paul's commending them to that and saying as we fix our eyes on Christ, we see growth. And, you know, sneak peek of next week, he's going to conclude all this by saying in chapter 3, verse 23, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's the direction that everything's working itself towards. Paul also shows us that as we keep our mind and our heart fixed on the, the, the wisdom of God and the power of the cross, we reap God's unity in the church. Look back at verse 8. He says, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. The driving point of that is that he's going, Hey, we're all on the same team here. He's not trying to, to be ignorant of the fact that there are legitimate differences between him and Apollos. That's documented throughout Scripture. There are different types of people. They speak different ways. There's certainly that. But he's going, hey, we're on the same team here. We've got the same goal. And you guys have somehow lost that, Corinthian church. And I think we lose that too sometimes. I, I think through back just like my spiritual history and, and my walk with Christ, there were different people along those paths that helped me in different ways. And some of them I appreciate more than others. And maybe that's a little bit of a flawed perspective. Because you're like, God used each one of those people. Different times, different ways. And I, w- I was capable of, of, of growth and, and seeing different things at different times. But God is the one who's always doing it. And it's helpful to see that. Because, again, going back to the introduction as we kind of opened the morning, like there's, sometimes there's not a lot of unity in the church. I, I praise the Lord, like, I don't see a lot of it here. And even just, like, where I used to geographically live, I feel like there was a lot more of, like, pastor so-and-so and this, that, and the other, and, like, fighting between pastors over, like, different people within the region. I, I'm thankful I don't see a lot of that around here, but it's a tendency and a drift. And, and Paul's point here is that, that all these people who, who are... Who are who are helping grow the church, are servants, and they're all on the same page. They should be united. That's what God's calling them to. And he's calling each one of us that, too. So I think that's very helpful to see. The final thing that he points out is that, or actually, one more. You get a bonus. It's a free one. Time change. Got to lose an hour, get an extra point. Um... He shows that they reap God's reward. I think this is a really helpful passage for each one of us as we look back at it, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But verse 8, the back half of verse 8, he says, But each will receive his own reward according to his labor. The perspective Paul is is saying is he's going, Hey, God's going to reward me for everything I do. 
God is the one who sees what I'm doing. He sees that I'm a servant of his. God's going to acknowledge that. God's going to reward that. And that would have graded against what was going on in the Corinthian church because they're going, you know, we got Team Paul here. Aren't you excited, Paul? Isn't that great? You know, again, a moment of levity. Like, we're selling hats and we're selling T-shirts and foam fingers. Yay, Paul. And Paul's like, no, no. Like, I'm not working for the praise of man. That's not the point. I'm not doing that. Paul, Paul doesn't desire people to be rooting for him. He's going, I'm serving the Lord. God's going to reward me. And God rewards much better than humans do, right? Like, it's good to have rewards from people. It's not a wrong thing. But when we prioritize that and we desire that more than rewards from God, and, and just love for him, like, we're serving out of love, not out of a desire to get reward. We're serving out of great joy in what he's given us in his grace. But realizing that God is the one who's rewarding is very helpful. Like, you, th- you think just for a moment about many of the difficult ministry callings I- in the church. Like, there have been countless men and women who have gone completely unnoticed throughout the years in the church. No reward whatsoever. We don't even know their names. They told the gospel to maybe a very small set of people, and we don't even know the consequences of their action. But Paul's going, hey, guess what? There's reward. God's going to reward that. God sees that. And he's far better at rewarding it than any people can. And it's not just the praise and the accolades that we, as, as people, we desire and want. Like, sometimes it's just literal stuff, Right? Like, sometimes we want to do ministry stuff because there's stuff in it, you know? And, and Paul's going, yeah, it's not about any of that. I'm, I'm serving out of love and a desire to be obedient to God, but then I know I'm going to be rewarded by him. The last thing that Paul observes here as a result of keeping our eyes on the cross and the wisdom of God is that there is a desire that is now present in the spiritually mature, to, to see everyone grown up into the maturity and to look like Christ. And that, that is the commanding like, heartbeat of Paul in the, these passages is like, I want you guys to, to, to look more and more like Christ. And there's a confidence in that. We already talked about that in chapter 1, that they will be glorified. Like this, this work of, of God making us more and more holy will be brought to completion in the day where we stand before the throne in heaven. Like, we will be glorified. We're heading towards that. But as we head towards that, Paul's going, like, I want you to move towards that. I want you to continue to grow in your sanctification. Look at verse 9. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. We, and you are God's field, God's building. He's calling them to see what God is doing. He's going, hey, get the big picture, guys. See what God is doing. Be a part of it. Join us. He's calling them to participate in the very thing that Paul and Apollos are doing. He's going, this isn't a spectator sport. Like, see what God is doing. See what God is growing. Two different images, both the construction image and then also the, the field image. And be a part of that. And I think verse 9 is very helpful, again, to understanding this passage properly. Like, notice the tone. Look back at verse 9. Suddenly, like, verses 5 through 9, like, pretty optimistic, right? Like, like there's not a lot of, like, harsh rebuke here. Like, there's a shift here because he's corrected wrong, the wrong thinking so far in this passage. 
And he's going, there's something a lot better out there for you. I think that's very helpful for us. Understanding all of that is very useful as we're heading towards the end of this passage. But it's also just very helpful as we think about that natural proclivity to, to being like, hey, what should we unite on? Let's think for a moment just about application and think through this passage for a moment. Like, there is this universal desire to want to have more people on our team, to bring people together. And so we're constantly trying to manufacture unity in the church based on preferences based on age groups, based on life stage, based on, you know, insert the blank, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like, have you ever hung out with someone who you haven't seen in like 10 or 15 years? It's kind of weird, right? You're like, we don't have a lot in common anymore. This is kind of weird. Sometimes it's a little strange. But if you have the gospel in common, you have everything in common, Christ is saying. That unites us, guys. It, it unites us to the point where we can look at each other and go, I might not agree with everything you just said, but we have the gospel in common. And that's enough, Paul's saying. There's great hope in the unity that's to be found in Christ. And there's great hope in, in the growth that can be found in Christ. Like we're constantly seeing in, in even the world this desire for something better. Everyone disagrees on what better is. Wide variety of answers as to what better is. But in the church, we see growing into the image of Christ as being the best thing for us. Again, like being where we should be. Christ is going, or Paul, Paul is commending us to grow in Christ. And he's going, the thing you need is the good news of the gospel for you. I think it's very helpful to see that because we're constantly trying to find things that will grow us and we're looking out to the world to do that. There's a lot of ways we're doing that, right? We're like, hey, that looks like something, nothing to do with the Bible, but maybe it could work. Or those people over there, not really preaching the Bible, but wow, that would be really helpful. Maybe that will grow me to be better. Again, like we're, we're working our way towards looking more and more like Christ need to be looking to Christ. It's this constant drift where we're thinking, oh, you know, like, what would really help me change my behavior, be less angry, do better things, would be like certain set of rules, some, some set of structures. Like, no, it's fixing your eyes on Christ. It's understanding the grace that you have and understanding what God is doing through his spirit, trusting in him. So, in all of that, I hope you see that in Christ and everything that he accomplishes on the cross, through his life, his death, his resurrection, all of that, we have everything we need to grow in unity and in Christ. Where do we go from here? I I think some of us find ourselves today needing to turn from some sort of substitute unity producer. We're going, hey, I want unity with other people in the church, and I want unity in the church, and we're, we're going about it the wrong way. And this is a hard turn moment where it's like, okay, fix my eyes on Christ. Got it. Okay, Christ is the one that unites us. The desire to proclaim the gospel, that's the thing that brings us together. Uh, others of us today find ourselves needing to turn from a substitute growth producer we're like, oh, maybe this is the thing that's going to make me grow, make me better, make, make me in some way, whatever the definition of better is, more like that, and that'd be good. And Paul's going, no, it's the grace of God. It's his spirit working, making you more and more into the image of Christ. That's the thing we've got to rely on. 
Paul calls the Corinthians out of their fighting. He calls them out of their apathy and stirs them up to good works. And this morning, I don't know what it is for you, but I pray that God would be working this week in your life. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace towards us. This whole passage shouts the grace that you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. It reminds us of that. And it reminds us of our tendency to keep to continually pull our eyes from that and have to fix our eyes back on you. Thank you for your kindness towards us. Thank you that you didn't leave us in sin. You could have. You didn't. You sent your son. It's the best news we could ever have. And even as we're thinking about this, this is, this is a message towards Christians. It's a hard message. As we look at our own self, it's hard not to see how you still have work, but we have confidence that you are faithful to complete that good work. God, we have great hope knowing that we will be able to because the blood of Christ stands sinless before you. That's good news. God, I pray that you would unite us very practically and tangibly in our church, that you would continue to foster and protect the spirit of unity that is here, and I pray that we would keep that by keeping our eyes fixed on Christ. God, give us great joy in that. In your son's name, amen.